Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It's November 15th and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose the Gay Simpsons. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we'll tell you about the FGG General Assembly meeting. After that, we're going to share our interview with the BHT Foundation. First, a quick update on Team DC. Team DC board elections will be held at the annual meeting in January, and nominations are being accepted now. Positions up for election include vice president, secretary, treasurer, board member for scholarship, board member for fundraising, board member for communications, and board member in charge of night out series. If you'd like to nominate yourself for another person, or if you'd like more information about any of these positions, please email less at teamdc.org. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. While you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all of the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. Okay, first up on our queer topic, The Simpsons. America's longest-running TV sitcom made news this weekend and announced details of a landmark episode for the franchise. Sunday's Simpsons episode will showcase a gay romantic storyline centered around Waylon Smithers. Smithers' sexuality has been alluded to for years, and his character finally came out in 2016 in an episode during The Simpsons' 27th season. This is no stranger to LGBTQ characters and storylines. Like Patty Bouvier, a.k.a. Marge's sister, who came out as a lesbian after Springfield legalized gay marriage. Homer also officiates a gay marriage in that same episode. And I remember growing up in the 90s when John Waters played characters and took Homer to a steel mill, which the workers turned into a gay bar after work. There was even an episode where Homer dons drag to win back Marge and is coached by RuPaul's Drag Race winner Raja and RuPaul herself as they sing a Simpsons parody of Glamazon. This is the first time a gay relationship will be the center of the plot for the episode. The, the episode is written by Johnny Lebsnick and his father, who told the New York Post, quote, so often gay romances are a subplot or alluded, or alluded to or shown in some kind of montage or as a punchline. And what I think I what I'm really excited about this episode, we get to see without spoiling too much, the beginning, middle and who knows how it ends of a gay relationship of really getting into the nitty gritty of how gay people date, how they meet, and what it's like. 
So who knows what will happen, but maybe there'll be another gay wedding in the future for Springfield. All right, Laura, so are you a Simpsons fan? Do you watch The Simpsons? And what do you think about this whole gay relationship being showcased in primetime? I've never seen an episode of The Simpsons. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I saw the movie uh, with the spider pig, but I've never <laughs> seen an ep episode of the show. I do know about this gay character who is like kind of like a bad guy and like works at Homer's job or something, but... Um, Isn't a bad you know, guy, Smithers? Smithers is oh, nice. All right, I don't know. He has this weird infatuation with Mr. Burns, who's Homer's <laughs> boss. Okay, well, here's the thing. Obviously, I think it's great. I mean, I think there is all due respect to Johnny Lebzik, tons of actual decent representation of gay relationships on TV these days. I don't, you know, what he's saying like would have made a lot more sense to me ten years ago. Um, but there is always room for more, you know, representation of gay love. And, you know, so, yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, I don't I can't really speak other than that because I don't know <laughs> nothing about The Simpsons. <laughs> really? So, like, yeah, I remember like and that was like me being a kid. Like, I remember that episode where um, John Waters is like this, the gay guy in Springfield and he becomes uh, friends with Homer and they think that um, <laughs> He's like, oh, no, maybe Bart is gay or whatever. So he's going to, like, take him to all these, like, manly places and they go to the steel mill. And then there's all these, like, hardcore muscly guys working at a steel mill. They're like, oh, yeah, we party hard, but we no, we work hard, but we party hard. And it turns into a gay <laughs> bar afterwards. It was hilarious. I mean, I mean like, why? What was the backstory that made Homer think Bart might be gay? Um, it was like he just realized that gay people existed. And so all of a sudden he was like, oh, no, my boy could be gay. I mean, I don't know. This sounds a little. It, well, again, it was the 90s. But he, like you, when you learn about like John Waters character and he's like, well, I'm gay. And he's like, what? Like, you're <laughs> gay? And he's like, clearly he's like a gay character. But Homer's like too dumb to notice. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, look, when I look back now on some of the original Will and Grace episodes, some of them are pretty cringe. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, we got to realize the 90s, 90s was a different time. <laughs> the 90s was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hooray for adult cartoons getting into the game. They love business. Uh, I'm all for it. I don't understand why the Simpsons have to be so bright yellow. There's something. That's really oh, okay. I think they're, they're going to say, they're going to do a spoiler. They're going to announce in this episode why they're yellow. What? Yeah. They're, okay. they're, they're, I think that's one of the things that like the mystery is going to be solved. Why the Simpsons are yellow. <laughs> that's really weird that I just thought of that. And then that's a thing, <laughs> but okay. Like I, it's not still not going to make me start watching the Simpsons, but you have to definitely, okay. You have to watch the one where RuPaul and Raja were in it. Cause Marge uh, becomes a Tupper, a Tupperware saleswoman. She sells <laughs> Tupperware, but she, she goes to all these like gay parties to sell this like Tupperware knockoff. <laughs> and uh, they think she's a drag queen. Oh, Marge. Because they dressed her up. Like, the guys, like, did a makeover and gave her all this makeup, so they think she's a drag queen. <laughs> it was actually pretty great. Oh, all right. Well, I, <laughs> I'm i happy for all you Simpsons fans out there because I know there's a billion of you. So yay for more queer people on network television at night. <laughs> um, what's going on in sports? All right, so moving on to my sports topic. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. 
This week, the NFL announced that they have fined the Green Bay Packers $300,000 and QB Aaron Rodgers and wide receiver Alan Lazard $14,650 each for failing to follow COVID-19 protocols established earlier by the league. This comes a week after Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19. He previously stated in an interview that he was immunized for COVID, but later announced he is unvaccinated. Rogers apparently is an independent researcher and was taking his own regimen of homeopathic treatments that he consulted Joe Rogan with. He also apologized to anyone who felt that they were misled by his statements and went on to continue spewing lines about cancel culture and the woke mob. Critics from all over the sports world were quick to comment about how dangerous and unsportsmanlike Rogers' actions were. And Dallas Cowboys receiver C.D. Lamb expressed his disappointment and confusion that Rogers was fined $14,650 and he was fined $20,600 for a uniform violation. Now, if only conservatives would go after him like they're going after Big Bird. All right, Laura, <laughs> so have you kept up with this craziness with the Green Bay Packers <laughs> and with Aaron Rodgers? And with Big and Bird? COVID. <laughs> yeah, no, I have. I mean, so, all right. This is petty, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Aaron Rodgers has never looked more like he needed a shower than he has looked in the last <laughs> 10 days. Bad. Every time bad. I see him on television, I'm like, yo, like get this man a bar of Irish spring. There is trouble afoot in the Rodgers household. Okay, putting that aside, this whole story is fucking bananas because look, apparently, you know, he may have had an actual legitimate medical reason not get vaccinated right like i read that i think he actually is allergic something that's in the vaccine and that a legitimate doctor gave him legitimate medical advice about why he should not take the vaccine which he that is part of a very small segment of the population but But for that very small segment of the population i fully support not getting vaccinated however why do you lie and why are you at a fucking super crowded halloween party with no mask on breathing your COVID all over everybody. <laughs> like, what are you doing, you fucking lunatic? Like, it does, so, you know, the whole thing is just so obnoxious because, you know, this isn't about the fact that, like, like he, I mean, honestly, he's a crazy person. And he, he could have just, he could have just realized that, like, my doctor told me I have this allergy and it was unsafe for me to get this vaccine. And then all he needed to do was then follow the rest of the medical advice, which would have been to wear a mask and to avoid super crowded Halloween parties, right? But instead, he becomes best friends with Joe Rogan and starts like injecting bleach into his veins or some other crazy nonsense um, and lying, most importantly, lying to people and putting a lot of other people at risk. So Aaron Rodgers is fucked up. The whole system of finding a fucking multi-billion dollar rich quarterback 15 grand is offensive to me how how like <laughs> ineffectual and ridiculous that is it's like it, it you might as well just print a giant sign that says we don't fucking care NFL, <laughs> right like so that whole thing is insane um but yeah, no, I mean, I'm so tired of all of these stories. Like the vaccine is out there. The research is out there. The doctors are telling you to get vaccinated. The CDC is telling you to get vaccinated. The American College of Pediatrics is telling you to get your kids vaccinated. Like you motherfuckers 
I don't care what Joe Rogan told you. I don't care what you read on some mom blog, right? You are putting people at risk by ignoring medical science and ignoring national health guidelines. So if you want to continue to live unvaccinated and not vaccinate your children, that's great. But you need to like live in a house with the door closed and wear a mask everywhere you go because it's completely ridiculous and you're keeping society closed down for your own whims. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, like I just need you to know that your fame and your money does not like ab like absolve you from social responsibility and lying to the public and lying to your teammates, lying to probably everybody who was at that party and didn't realize that they were um, with an unvaccinated person and that there was a safety risk is really reprehensible on a human level. So that's it. I'm tired of talking about the about COVID-19. I'm tired of talking about the vaccine and I'm tired of all these selfish people who are cannot bring themselves to behave like, like decent humans. That's the crazy thing. Like, I, I I totally agree. He should have like, if he does have this legit allergy to a component of the vaccine, sure, say that, but don't you know tell the public, oh, I'm I'm immunized, or uh, you know he carefully chose his words. He never said he. And that's what his defense was. I never said I was vaccinated. I said it was immunized, and I'm. Yeah, taking, what does that mean? Exactly. It's like, right, like we're back to the Clinton <laughs> days of what is the word is is like. Mm. What does that mean? We're not, <laughs> not well, well, not like that is. At least that was nuanced. I mean, the word <laughs> immunized is immunized. Like the it's only immunized. other, I mean, the only other thing I could think of is if like he had previously had COVID, and what he meant was he had antibodies from previously getting COVID. But I've never not heard any evidence that that is the case. So yeah, in no, other he, words, he, you just lied. Like the word immunized yeah, doesn't yeah. mean something else. <laughs> it doesn't. It means yeah. He uh, what should we call it? He he was just saying you know I'm I'm immunized because I'm taking all these alternative that is not what an immunization like, is that's not what that means yeah <laughs> rogan's podcast is not an immunization sir <laughs> yeah uh but now i think and i think that's what like a lot lots of the sports stars are saying is you lied like terry bradshaw did this whole thing like why did you lie um that's that's what people are really upset about is like and you put your whole team at risk you put uh you know, the public at risk your family all these other people's families and all this other stuff because one you told people you were uh, quote immunized or whatever but you you lied to people yeah you're a fraudster and like get lost i have no i have no room or space or forgiveness for people who just blatantly lie about something as serious as public health yeah and especially when it's you know of course uh especially when you're a multimillionaire and you can't even be bothered to take a fucking shower <laughs> no, he's going on all these talk shows and now he's saying, oh, I'm being attacked by a woke mob and there's cancel culture on me. And it's like, that's just your default. Like, that's what you're going for. That's your defense. No, you lied and you lied to these people. Well, how woke exactly does one need to be to be offended by somebody lying to them? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't realize that expecting people not to lie to your face was like part of being <laughs> part of being part of a, like a liberal woke mob. <laughs> Exactly. No, it's uh, take responsibility for your actions. You lied. You got caught. Just say okay, whatever. But no, pay your fifteen thousand dollars and move along, sir. <laughs> exactly. He's playing. He's actually playing. Um, uh, 
in the future because he's playing today, but it's actually tomorrow because we're releasing this on Monday. So we'll see well, what happens. Only... But he's off the bench. He's playing. Yeah, he's playing. Well, but that's the thing. Like when you test positive for COVID, the NFL policy is if you're not vaccinated, you sit out two weeks instead of one. It's not like it ends your season or your career or something. There's just absolutely no reason to lie about it. I mean, like I think Roethlisberger is out today because he has COVID, but or he he's listed as COVID. I'm not sure what that exactly means, right? It could just mean an exposure, but because he's vaccinated, he only has to miss one game. I mean, the policy is in place for what it is. And Aaron Rodgers, you're going to miss two games. It's not going to be the end of the world. Just, you know, the whole thing is nauseating to me. (laughs) Well, anyway, I, I mean, once again, I am a big proponent of the vaccine, but I am also, if you really don't want to take the vaccine, there are other things you can do but it begins with being transparent and honest and putting a mask on. I just want to see Big Bird on the field. Uh, yes, I'm glad that Big Bird is vaccinated. Big Bird um, is vaccinated. That is an important step for the American public. Now that five-year-olds um, are eligible to be vaccinated, and I've seen lots and lots of kiddos online getting their first shot it's exciting i think it's gonna go a long way for getting schools back to normal um and that is such an important part of getting the entire economy back to normal so that parents don't have this anxiety hanging over their head all the time about when their kid's gonna get sent home for an exposure you know it's it's just gonna make all the world all a world of difference so we are moving in the right direction and you know People like Aaron Rodgers be damned, right? Like there's going to always be a couple of these guys on the fringes, but we don't, we can move on without him. Yes. Get your uh, medical advice from a legit doctor, not a, not Dr. a Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm sure there are some legit doctors on podcasts. It's just not Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's true. So I mean, anyway, all right. So <laughs> tell me, tell me what is up at the intersection of sports and queer. All right, so for this week at the intersection of sports and queer, I chose a very interesting topic. Uh, The Federation of Gay Games met last week in Brighton, England for the 2021 Annual General Assembly. And delegates from Guadalajara, Mexico, Munich, Germany, and Valencia, Spain were on hand to present their bids to host the 12th Gay Games in 2026. In February of 2020, 20 cities from six continents announced their intent to bid for the games. That is the most in FTG history. The list was shortened down to Auckland, New Zealand, Brisbane, Australia, Guadalajara, Munich, San Diego, Taipei, Taiwan, Toronto, Canada, and Valencia, Spain in August 2020 with the final three candidates cities announced in March of 2021. FTG officials then visited each candidate city to tour the venues and cultural events spaces. Last Thursday, the Federation of Gay Games announced that Valencia, Spain will be the presumptive host city of the 2026 Gay Games. And as we stated before, the 11th Gay Games in Hong Kong were pushed back a year to 2023 due to the ongoing pandemic. So congrats to Valencia and well done, Guadalajara and Munich. We here in DC know how how hard it is when we lose a bid. Uh, Laura, so are you excited about Gay Games and the news that's going on? I think it's gonna be crazy that it's normally three years to get prepared for Gay Games, not four, but it's like what the Olympics are doing right now. So let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of cool. Like it's so far away, like it's like five years away. It's hard to like, um, you know, get too worked up about it, but Spain is a cool country. I, 
you know, think that's like a nice, uh, cool place for it to be. Sounds like it will be a lot of fun. I frankly am in the camp of people who is skeptical that the Hong Kong gay games are ever going to happen. So it'll be very interesting to see how things play out over the next couple of years. Um, another thing that's interesting is that I know a couple of the really big organizations, you know, like the aquatic organization and some of the others that usually are huge attendees at the gay games have already started making alternative plans to have their tournaments held outside of the gay games. And I don't know how that, if or how that might impact the gay games going forward. So the next couple of years are going to be really interesting. We're going to just have to follow um, what these various leagues are doing and see how things come together. But hopefully by 2026, things are back to normal and everybody is excited about celebrating a huge gay games and, and Spain will uh, knock it out of the park. I have no doubt. Yeah. I'm excited. Like I've never been to a gay games and I was really excited to like get ready for one, but I don't think I'm gonna go to Hong Kong. So I'm kind of like looking forward to, you know, when the next city was, I was totally uh, obviously team Wallahara because I was like, Oh, they hosted the Pan Am games. They've done all these other different like of sporting events and stuff like that. But um, and it also would be a the first time the games were held in Latin America, because so far the only, I guess, continents that they've been held at are Australia, uh, North or North America. Well, and it would be North America then, technically. Fine countries. You're, you're talking about Europe, the U.S., and Australia. Yeah. Um, and it would be it would be interesting to see it kind of like in Latin America, South America, or like somewhere in Africa. But um, yeah, I'm excited for Spain. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think probably with all the headaches that are coming out of Hong Kong, um, it's probably not like I don't blame the kind of the committee for being like, let's plant plant it somewhere where we know there's going to be a million backup sites available within exactly. like a very short I, distance. I, like we don't want to run the risk of having two two of these really tough ones back to back. So Spain is probably a sensible choice given the. I mean, and that's that's the hard thing about. Um... Like there's so much work that goes into putting these bids together. Like it is insane work and money. Like I was looking at like how much each candidate city has to pay to submit bid books and submit their intent and all this crazy stuff. And I remember when I was helping with the DC bid, um, just how much work it took. It was insane. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. You're talking about years and years of work. And then, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, you know, yeah. one city can be chosen, but right. I mean, it's still, it's a lot of work. And I mean, you know, you have to get buy-in from a lot of local businesses. You have to get buy-in from the government, city, the local the government. government, because you need all kinds of permits and everything else. You're going to need all kinds of support um, for venues and, you know, traffic and lodging and everything. I mean, it's a really big deal. Um all of these cities were perfectly capable. I did not look at the take a look at any of the bid books, but I have no doubt that they all did a really great job. They would have made it to the top three if they hadn't really, you know, done a great job. So, I, you know, that, there's no doubt that any one of them could have pulled off um, an amazing games. But again, given all the turmoil that's surrounding this one, I think Spain is like a super safe choice, and also like will be a lot of fun, and it's a great location. Um, that is also a little bit more centrally located for the um, countries that historically have sent large contingents of people. And so if they're worried about having a less than well-attended gay games um, 
in Hong Kong, like having it somewhere where it's relatively easy for all for people from North America and Europe to go to is probably a great idea, right? To get just to, you know, if you're worried that you're not going to have great attendance at the one right before it, you don't want to have that twice in a row, especially during a time when there's been a lot of questions about the viability of the gay games, you know, so it's probably a very smart plan. Um, safe, but smart. Yep. So I'm excited. So ready for Paella in 2026. Yeah, awesome. I and I mean, I paella is so good, um, and also patatas bravas is delicious. <laughs> so you know, I'm all for it. I... <laughs> all right, that's this week's under the bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with the BHT Foundation. Gabe and I recorded this interview with the BHT Foundation a few months ago. The BHT Foundation is an LGBTQ group formerly known as Brother Help Thyself that has raised more than three and a half million dollars for more than 200 nonprofit LGBTQ organizations in the DC and Baltimore area since its founding in 1978. On Friday of this week, the BHT Foundation's board of directors announced that it has decided to dissolve the organization. In an email sent to LGBTQ organizations and activists, the board said, quote, it is with great sadness that after 43 years of building, helping, transforming our surrounding communities, the board of directors of the BHT Foundation has decided to dissolve the organization. The statement goes on to say, this decision was not reached lightly when Brother Help Thyself was founded in 1978 by four gay motorcycle clubs. It was one of the first organizations in the U.S. to provide funding for LGBTQ, SGL, health, culture, and social services. Throughout the AIDS crisis, BHT helped to leverage critical funding at a time when it was severely lacking in other areas. Today, we have come to the determination that it is no longer needed in the same way. There is no doubt that BHT will be missed. However, the Board of Directors has every confidence that the many nonprofit and community organizations serving LGBTQ SGL communities of the Baltimore DC region and beyond are today in a much better place to acquire resources thanks to the over four decades of work by the clubs and members of BHT. The statement added that the board is currently in the process of determining a final distribution of its assets to nonprofit and charitable organizations in the DC and Baltimore regions. The BHT Foundation played a pivotal role for the LGBTQ community over the last 40 plus years, and the community is forever indebted to the folks that kept this organization going these many years. Although this interview is now slightly outdated, it is an important introduction to an organization that this community needs to be aware of. So we hope that you will enjoy our discussion with you. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. We're joined today by Paul Marengo, the board president of the BHT Foundation. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we are excited to talk to you and learn more about your organization. So why don't we start right there and tell everybody what the BHT Foundation is? Sure. So the BHT Foundation is an all-volunteer foundation. So we have a grant cycle that smaller nonprofits can apply for grants in order to help their mission or for a specific project 
or anything in between that. And um, how long has the BHT Foundation been around? Tell us how and when you got started. Sure, so the BHT Foundation was formerly known as Brother Help Thyself. <clears throat> the organization started in 1978, about 40 years ago, by four gay motorcycle clubs um, who saw a need um, to support our community, to help smaller institutions um, find funding that they need. Um, so the first fundraiser that they had and the first grant they gave out was a VD clinic uh, within our community. You know it today as Women Walker Health. So from there, the organization has been, you know, raising funds and then giving back <clears throat> those funds to smaller organizations who may not have the expertise or the resources in order to find money to support their projects, their work, and their mission. Fantastic. And do you focus solely on LGBTQ plus focused organizations? Um, we do, but we also, if a um, straight organization has programming that um, either affects or supports the LGBTQ um, IA community, we'll look at that um, organization. Well, so do you host events throughout the year or how do you raise these funds? So we raise funds primarily through individuals. Um, our board raises funds as well as individuals within the community also donate to the foundation. And that's our primary source of uh, income. Okay, that's really interesting. So do it, the individuals generally donate from their own sort of personal funds or are individuals um, planning uh, fundraising events? So there's a wide range of how individuals give. They give anywhere from, you know, hosting um, birthday fundraisers on fa Facebook to just giving money straight out of their checking account um, and everything in between that. Okay. Um, what kind of criteria does the foundation apply when deciding where to award the funds? Sure. So we have an initial set of requirements. The organizations have to have a budget of under 500,000. They have to be within our service area, which includes counties in Northern Virginia, DC, and then Maryland all the way up to and including Baltimore. And then above that, once uh, a nonprofit applies, um, we have a number of questions and we score those questions. And then board members, we come together and we discuss those applications um, looking at smaller organizations who are bootstrapping it, but also making a good impact within the community. We also look at to balance, you know, organizations not only in DC, but Northern Virginia and Maryland as well, so that we're spreading the wealth, not just concentrating, let's say, just in DC. Sure. And are you typically funding a specific project or goal of the organizations or um, is it more that you're funding sort of general operating funds? So we have three different funds um, that an organization can apply for. So we have the Thompson Junior Fund, which specifically targets um, organizations that provide services or support to LGBTQIA youth. And then we have our Vendicar Fund, which specifically supports um, HIV AIDS related organizations. And then our Medford Fund is our general fund where it supports any number of different um, projects, missions, um, things like that. Great. And can you give us a couple of examples of some organizations or projects that you've funded recently? Sure. So for example, we supplied um, or gave money to AIDS Action Baltimore um, in order to support their HIV AIDS related um, 
services that they provide in the Baltimore area. Um, we provided uh, funding for the TAG scholarship fund. Um, at the time that we supplied their um, funding, the Medford fund was specifically for capital expenses, but the board has since changed that to general, um, a general fund. So when we supplied money at the time to TAG, um, it was for equipment in order to help their organization better serve their community. It's very cool because I know, um, and it's great that y'all are helping smaller organizations and smaller uh, nonprofits that, you know, if you give them a, a couple thousand dollars, a couple hundred dollars, it goes a long way compared to a bigger organization that you know, has a budget and that's just a little drop in their bucket. But these contributions actually make a big difference in um, some organizations. So that's awesome. Yes. Um, last year, we were able to help, um, I believe, about 12 different organizations um, at the tune of 25000 altogether. This year, um, as board president, one of the things I wanted the board to do was be able to give double that this year. We know that COVID has impacted smaller institutions more so than larger ones, and we wanted to make sure that we were able to give back to smaller organizations so that they didn't, they didn't go under. Very cool. So if we have, uh, you know, anyone listening right now, and I know for the cycle for this year's already started, but how can they or when should they start getting their uh, information together and start um, looking into applying for a, a grant or? Sure. So the first thing I would recommend is going on our newsletter. Um, different board members um, and different boards will have um, different times of the year when they will have their grant cycle. One of the reasons why I moved our grant cycle to September is because um, a lot of institutions would get money from the federal government and that money doesn't usually come in until October to December of the year. So we wanted to make sure that if we were giving money to smaller organizations, it was a way to float them until federal or city money came in. <clears throat> so that's our, our current grant cycle. Um, we're looking um, at establishing a sponsorship program for organizations that are not a 501c3, which is something I forgot to say um, is one of requirements for our grant program. So if an institution is either waiting for the 501c3 status or um, they don't currently have a 501c3 status, we're looking to see how we can still support them and the work that they do. So right now we're just looking to see how we can make that happen and do that within a sponsorship program rather than our grant program. Got it. Um, you mentioned that originally the group was founded by four motorcycle clubs. Can you tell us what your current member organizations are, a little bit about them, what they do? Sure, so over um, the last couple of years as, organization, as clubs cycled in and out, um, the board needed to stabilize um, in order to have continuity. So one of the things that uh, you know, my predecessors did was allow elected directors. So I'm not in a club, I'm an elected director and we have a couple of those. <clears throat> and then we still have club members. So you know, we have ASGRA, which is the Atlantic States Gay Rodeo Association, we have the Shipmates, Hooker and Boys, Chesapeake Bay Bears, um, and the Clifton Pleasure Club. But we do, we still do get support from uh, motorcycle clubs. So recently, um, the Highwaymen TNT had supported um, BHT Foundation with a, a donation. So one of the cool things I saw that you also do the BHT School. Can you talk about that and the different programs sure. that you all offer? <laughs> So um, different board presidents have different takes. So my background is 
I'm a grant writer. I'm a development professional. That's my day job. So one of the things that I wanted to do um, was to be able to provide support to smaller organizations, not just with a check, but in other ways. So two of the things that we looked at was one, using our social media as a resource, and then two, creating a series of workshops. So we called it the nonprofit summer school. And what we did <laughs> is we offered six um, seminars on various topics, everything from grant writing to um, website development, to board management, to volunteer recruitment and everything in between. And then in the fall, we're gonna offer another series um, in corporate sponsorships, as well as how to become a nonprofit and then fiscal sponsorships. Wow, that sounds like really great resources. Are they available to all nonprofit organizations in the area? They are, and they are provided for free. Wow, that's great. Um, if people are interested in getting involved with the BHC Foundation, what kind of volunteer um, opportunities do you have and where would people go to find out more about that? Sure. Um, so our website, which is um, bhtfoundation.org, they can find all their all our volunteer opportunities on our website. So there's different there's two different main ways um, that someone can get involved. They can either um, put in an application to be a board member. Board members, you know, with any board have a certain number of um, requirements. Um, you know, reviewing grant applications, being at board meetings, um, and helping with everything in between. And then for regular volunteers, um, there's a couple of different ways that volunteers can get involved. We have development volunteers who help with fundraisers and things like that. And then we have marketing volunteers who help with social media um, and, you know, writing press releases, newsletters, and things like that. And all that, again, is on our website at bhtfoundation.org. And then on the side, we are doing a fundraiser. Um, we have a lot of, you know, historical documents and things like that, and we want to be able to scan them and create a digital museum um, on our website. The organization is well over 40 years, and we want to be able to document all the individuals who are, you know, were involved um, and help impact our community, as well as, you know, looking at other members of the community and being able to, you know, promote them um, and show community. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, I want to thank you for joining us, but, but before you leave, the most important part, let everybody know where they can go if they want to make a donation to the foundation and where they could go to like find you on social media or any other information that they might need to find. Sure. So our website, the bhtfoundation.org, right on the homepage, we have um, social media buttons that they can click and go right to that particular platform. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then also on our website, we have a volunteer menu item and then our support us menu item. So there's different ways to get involved to volunteer and then there's different ways that you can support our organization financially. Terrific. All right. Well, thanks again. Before we let you go, is there anything you want to share about your personal experience with the foundation or what it means to you or what do you think um, the kind of difference it makes in the community? One of the things that we pride ourselves on is helping smaller organizations. We want to make sure that those organizations don't disappear, especially with COVID. 
you know, there's the old adage that something is too big to fail, but it's also too <laughs> small to fail. You know, we don't, we want those smaller organizations not to disappear because they're just as important as any other organization within our community. You know, that's what we want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Well, thanks again for being here and we hope to uh, get to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.